Okay, we're doing Shabbos, Daf Koshvi Gimel. We're starting for the Mishnah. Again, the general rule is here, tying knots on Shabbos, that a permanent knot is forbidden and a temporary knot is allowed. So, Koshvi Gimel, a person is, telling, uh, is tying here a pail, right? You're going to, like, for the top of the well, you know, you're, 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 you're tying something to, the, to a pail. So, what are you going to tie it with? So, you can use something temporary, like a, like a psikya, the Mishnah says, a girdle. So you're not going to leave it there permanently. There's no way it's going to leave it there permanently. So therefore, it's obviously um, just for the, just for a little bit of time. And therefore, you can tie the pal with the girdle. A little chale, you can't use a rope. Even if, um, even it sounds like even if your intent is to take it off. But it sounds like it's like very, we're nervous that you're going to, we're probably going to leave it there uh, permanently because it's very normal to do such a thing. And therefore, we're concerned and uh, we don't let you tie it with a rope. Rabbi Huda allows it. And we'll see why Rabbi does Mazer in the Gemara. Klal of Rabbi says, Kol Kashir Shavim HaChayv and Olav. As long as the knot is not permanent, you're not Chayv for it. So the Gemara now clarifies the circumstances here. Chayv Adamai. What kind of rope is the Machlok Shavim in the Rabbana? Ilim HaChayv Adamai. We're talking about a regular rope. Rabbi does Mazer. Rabbi does Lazer Kashir Kayamahu. Probably the knot is going to be permanent, right? Usually when people tie knots to uh, tie a rope to, to, to the pal, it's probably going to be left there. So Rabbi Yudah wouldn't allow it. El Chavah the guy. Rabbi Yudah, we're talking about a specific rope. The rope that a weaver uses. So the weaver's going to need it for his job. He's not going to leave it permanently attached to the pal. So therefore, there's like a condition that makes it temporary. Rabbi Yudah allows it. And what's the Pshan the Rabbanan? I guess the Rabbanan would make Xerah. If we allow people to use the weaver's rope, then they might come to use any rope. So the Gemara now assumes. It sounds like the Rabbanan old. We make Xerah. We, we don't allow using the weaver's rope. Even though it's temporary, Xerah. You might come to use a regular rope, which would be permanent. And it would sound like review to hold, you don't make Xera. But we'll show that really in another similar context, it's exactly the opposite. Raminu, we, we pose the following contradiction. Bryce says, The rope of the pail snaps in the middle. You can't tie both ends, um, the ends together with the knot, because it's going to be perma- it's going to be permanent, right? You're keeping it there. So if it snaps in the middle and you want to tie it together, you can't make a regular knot. Ella umbo, what can you do? You can make a bow because the bow is not an also type of knot. Right? It's not a regular knot that's also. It's a bow, and that's not that's not part of this. So the Khanakama allows bows. says, you can make like um you can you can wind something around it, like a a belt or girdle around it. Well you can't tie it with a bow. So Rebuda is prohibiting making bows. Why? It must be Xera because you might come to make a real knot. Everybody agrees the Gemara is assuming that a bow is not a real knot. It's okay, it's not a real knot. But the Machlokas is, if we allow you to use the, to, to, to make a bow, are you going to come to make a regular knot? So, Kasha review the review of Kasha Rabbanan. We have a double contradiction in the Rabbanan's opinion and review Yudah's opinion. In our Machlokas about, about tying the pail, review Yudah was being more lenient with the weaver's rope because you're not going to, when he wasn't close, you're going to come to use a regular rope so he was make In this circumstance, review Yudah is not letting you Tie a bow, we're assuming because you might come to tie a regular rope, a regular knot. And the Rabbanon, the opposite is true. By the weaver's rope, the Rabbanon is saying we do not allow it because Xerah, you might come to use a regular knot. And, and in this case, and in this case here with making a bow, the Rabbanon are makeover and they don't make it Xerah. So the Marian says, Rabbanon are going to the Kasha. It's not a contradiction in the Rabbanon. Different types of rope, people get mixed up, right? What's the difference between it? You can't really tell by looking at it if it's a weaver's rope, regular rope, so it happens to be a weaver's rope, people are going to take away. Okay, but we still make Xerah that someone might think you could use a regular rope. But I need to make sure no one's going to make, make a mistake between a regular, a regular, a, a regular bow and a knot. 
you could see the difference in the type of knot. So if a knot is usher, but a bow is, is mutter, you know, just if somebody sees a bow, they're not going to assume regular knots mutter. In the opinion of Rebuda, that's not a theory because the idea in the bride's Rebuda says you can't use a bow. It's not a zero. If we allow you to use a bow, you might come to use a regular knot. Ella, rather, you know what it is? Aniva gufak shirahu. If you hold a bow, is a form of a knot. Meaning, Machlokas is simply, is a bow knot a type of knot that's also to make on Shabbos? Rebuda holds that it is. So it's not Pshar Rebuda makes Xera. Really, on things that are essentially mutter, Rebuda holds, like we're seeing here with the weaver's rope, I'll do the other bow, we don't make Xera. The idea there. Was that specifically reviewed the holds that the bone knot is actually a forbidden type of knot? So if it's a forbidden type of knot, that's why, that's why it's a problem. Says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Amar Rabbi Abba Amar Rabbi Barashi Amar Rab Mavi and Mechavim Tope. So the Kosh Rapar of Abes, a person can bring a rope from his house and tie one of the end of it to the cow and one end to like it was like a a, a little feeding basket. Right, the feeding basket would like go around, wrap around their neck, and they would like walk around with it and they would have the food with it and eat it. So it's tied on one end here to the animal and one end is tied to the to this feeding cleat. So we're not chloshesh that he's gonna that he's going to whenever you want to take it off, that maybe he'll only undo one of the knots, the other one and he'll just slip the the one off. No, we don't have to assume that we won't have to be chloshesh with that. We're not concerned. We assume that when he wants to take it off he'll undo both ends and therefore it's a kasher she'ino shokayama it's not considered a permanent knot and it should be mud. Says the Gemara, is that true? It's Rabbi Acha Richo to Rabbi Papa Rachel Rabbi Acha who was tall. Who's Rabbi Acha? Rabbi Papa asked asked this kasha from Rabbi Bryce. It says your chavos shayv was a kosher par a rope. If one end was already tied to the feeding receptacle before Shabbos, so then you can tie the other end on Shabbos to the cow. But Rabbi Papa, if one end was tied before Shabbos to the cow, kosher beivus, you can tie the other end to the feeding receptacle. Vajalei v'chavos beivus, but you can't bring on Shabbos the rope from the house and tie them both ends. Speaks Rabbi Papa beivus. So the Bryce seems to be saying. That's a distinction between making only a, the knot on one end. If it was already tied on one end, and you're making the second one, then we assume which, that that one's going to be uh, the temporary one, and for sure that one will be the one that's undone. But if it wasn't tied at all, and you're coming to tie both, then possibly it's also because you might you might you might only undo one. So it's a kashrut. What we're saying, we're saying that you could bring the rope from your house and tie on both ends because whenever you're going to take it off, you'll undo both ends. Here we seem to be saying no. We're choshesh. If you bring it on Shabbos, you're going to tie both. That one maybe you're only going to undo one of the knots, and it'll be a kashrut shalgayama, and it's also. So the Quran says, no, there we're talking about a regular rope, and therefore it's also talking about the weaver's rope. The weaver's rope, you're not going to leave it permanently because you're going to take it off to use. That's why we're making, we say you can even tie both ends. But in a regular rope, you can't tie both ends because probably you're just going to leave one of, you're just going to leave one of them, one of them attached, and we don't know, we don't know which one, either the side that's attached to the animal or the side that's attached to the, to the, to the, to the, to the receptacle. But either way, one of them might end up being a kasher shokayam. Okay, now the Gemara was on, which is because we were talking about the weaver, the weaver's rope. I was not going to be a Kesher Shokayama because you're certainly going to take it away. So the Gemara continues, It's mutter to move the kalim of a weaver on Shabbos. Now the Chiddush here is that there's a, there's a category of muksa, um, where it's really a, a mix of two things, where it's a Kalishim Latzal Isser, it's muksa Machas Chesar and Kit. So two, two categories kind of here are kind of being mixed. Where something is made to do work that's also on Shabbos, and it's also something that you would never use for something else. Meaning, so like a weaver's clee, someone could say, you know what, you're not going to weave on Shabbos. And a weaver's clee is not the type of thing that you would use it for another purpose besides the job. You set it for the job, and if it's not the job, you don't use it. So since you're not using it for the job on Shabbos, because weaving, weaving is usher, so then it's completely muksa. So someone could have thought such a thing, and Rav Yudah is saying that that's not the case. That it doesn't, it's not really muksa, it's not muksa, in case you would theoretically use it for other things, you wouldn't object for using it for something that's not for weaving. And therefore, if you want to move it for some other purpose on Shabbos, it would be permitted. Bowman and Rav 
What about the beams, the beams and the loom, right? The, the beams that were part of the loom, and remember the warp hangs from the beams. So, so do we say that they're, they're like these rods that we're talking about, which aren't moksa, that you might use them for something else? Or here, possibly, Rashi says, remember, the beams are very heavy. So they're, maybe they're not considered fit for anything besides weaving. What are you going to use the beams for? It's bad, some only for weaving. So even if a person comes up with some crazy thing that they want to use it for on Travis, or it's in the way of something else on Travis, something like that, maybe it's considered moksa because they're not really used ever for anything else besides weaving. And since weaving is also on Travis, so they're moksa. So the Mark says, in Valin Verafiaviade. He would sometimes say yes, sometimes he said no. Because sir, he didn't have a clear answer on this question about the beams. Says the Gemara, it's Mar. We learn about what other Amarom say about this. Amar of Nachman or Shmuel Kliki Vay, just the weaver, the regular implements that the weavers use. Motzotam Shabbos, they're not Motzot. Afilu Kavadam Vatachton, even the beams. Avalo Amudim, but not the posts. There were different types of looms, but the, the, the again, there's the vertical. The, there's there's the ones that we were just talking about where where went were horizontal. Name one of like the posts that were vertical that kept it all the warp all in place. So, 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 so what about the, the posts? So we're saying the posts that would run into the ground, those really like set into the ground. It sounds like the Gemara is assuming that it's totally awesome to move. And not because of mooks unnecessarily, but it's not more mooks than the beams, but it's also because since it goes into the ground, so if you take them out, it's like, it's like you're building the ground because you're making a hole in the ground when you take them out. So that's considered building to take them out. So the Gemara says, is that really considered building when you take something that was in the ground and now there's a hole? That's not digging out a hole. Why are you telling me about the post? So what you're saying because you're making holes in the ground, right? Because it was taking up the hole and now taking up the space in the ground. When I take it out, it's like forming a hole. That can't be. The holes are just there automatically. You're not digging it out. It's not. Where are we going to show this? I told me, let's say somebody buries a turnip or a radish in the ground under a grapevine. Now he's storing it. You have to be very careful here because, right, you can't have kalim. So he's storing another vegetable under a grapevine. It makes us look good. If long as some of the leaves are still exposed, they're sticking out. You don't have to be worried about kalim. Um, in other words, you can't mix species. So Mishnah, you don't have to be worried about, about when you bury these vegetables, you plant them in Kalayim, because nothing's taking root here. You're just storing it temporarily. So if you're just storing it temporarily, you don't have to be worried. If you're worried about Shemitah, it's not like you're really planting, you're just storing it, or the laws of Meiser, because again, until something takes root, there's no problem whatsoever. And Nelan uh, and Shabbos, they're not muksa. You could take them out of the ground. So, in what way? Because then you could just pick up the leaves and not move the dirt, right? Because since the leaf is exposed, you don't have to move aside the dirt to take it out, so therefore it's not muksa. Now, when you take out the turnip or the radish, what's going to happen? Right, you're making a hole. Now you're taking up some space in the ground. So you see clearly that's not considered making a hole in the ground. And the reason is because the space is just auto- automatically there. You're not really making a hole. So the Mars Kasha is, we should say the same thing with the post. Why are you saying that you can't take away the post? If you're saying that we're scared that it's making holes, the holes are automatically there. It shouldn't be a problem. So the Gemara accepts this point. And the Gemara, the Gemara therefore gives a new reason. You're not going to come to level the holes. You could take away, let's say, a vegetable from the earth, and it's not actually building. And after you're done, you're not going to come to fill up the hole, you know, and level it, because you don't care. It's the field. is here, the weaver's post are in your house. Also, the Gumos. We're concerned. It's not that it is an act of building to take out the post, but we're concerned that after, after you take out the post, you might come to level the holes in the ground that, that are gonna be there because you remove the post. So it's xer darbana. If we let you take out the, the, the post, you may come to level the holes, which would be an Isra Bona and Java. So therefore we're saying even if the cleavers uh, the, the weavers implements are not muksa, even including the, the the heavy the heavy the heavy beans, but the the, the post should not be moved on Shabbos. 
Says the Gemara, what's the the weavers implements, right? The beams, because you move them, you can't move them, he holds you cannot move them, because they're never taken away, they're not moved. They're so heavy, they're not moved, so, they're, so, so they become totally muksa. So we see it's basically machokas, that's the bottom line. Machokas about the beams of the weavers, whether in fact they are muksa or not. So because now we move on really to a tangent, the rest of the paragraph, but it's all comes because we were talking about knots and the clothing, so now we talk about other dinim that apply to clothing. So the Mishnah said, A person can fold his garments even four or five times. So the idea of folding, right, is that you want to, you want to take away wrinkles. If it doesn't fold, then, it, then you get a problem. There's all sorts of wrinkles. So we're talking about someone who takes off the clothes on Shabbos, that he can fold them as long as he's going to wear them, any, he's going to wear them again on Shabbos. So you can fold them... Um, even four or five times, or Matinus Mitzvah Mitzvah Shabbos, or make the bed on the night of Shabbos for Shabbos Day. Avaloma Shabbos Mitzvah Shabbos. You can't do these things on Shabbos for after the Shabbos. The idea seems to be Tachon, that's preparing. So if you're making making the bed, so that it'd be fresh, you know, the bed or the couch for for for, for Matzvah Shabbos, that's an act of Achanah. The same thing with the, the folding of the garments. We're saying that that's a problem. That's a problem of Achanah to fold it uh, for afterwards. Okay, so the idea of Achana, this is an interesting thing, is all to think because there's a day that's sacred, and then the weekday is not sacred. So, therefore, you can't do something on the sacred day for the non-sacred day. But what about, if the Gemara's next scenario is where Yom Kippur is right next to Shabbos, either a Friday or a, Sunday, a Friday or a Sunday. Now, in our calendar, the set calendar, it never happens that way. But in the old times, in the Mishnahs, it was theoretically possible. When they were Mekadish, Alpid Levana, it was possible. So... So now Rabbi Yishmael says, Let's say Yom Kippur or Shabbos, and on Yom Kippur you could make the preparations on, Shabbos, on Yom Kippur on Friday for the sake of Shabbos, because he holds that he holds that Shabbos has a higher degree of Kedusha than Yom Kippur, so Shabbos has a higher degree of Kedusha than Yom Kippur, so you could do something on Yom, on Yom Kippur on Friday to prepare for Shabbos. Furthermore, he holds the Shabbos Yantif. The fats of Shabbos could be offered on Yom Kippur, uh, the fats of Shabbos could be offered on Yom Kippur, meaning, because Shabbos has more kedusha, so let's say you have a carbon of the, the carbon of Shabbos. I don't know the Mosaf or the or the Talmud, the Talmud. So the halacha normally is that you have you have you have to bring the carbon during the day, but the fats can be burnt on the mizbeach the entire night that follows. So until the next morning. So what happens if let's say Yom Kippur was Sunday and you have some leftover fats from Shabbos that you haven't yet burned on that Yom Kippur night on that Matzah Shabbos? Can you burn them? Can you burn them on the mizbeach? So you're really doing. Chil Shabbos, right? And Chil Yom Kippur, I should say. Are you allowed to do that for the fats that were from Shabbos? And the answer is you could. You could because since the Kedusha of Shabbos is greater than Yom Kippur, then one is allowed to burn from the Karbonos of Shabbos on Yom Kippur night. That is Matzah Shabbos. But vice versa, let's say Yom Kippur was Friday and you have some of the leftover limbs from Yom Kippur Karbonos. Can you burn them Friday night? The answer is no. Avalosha Yom Kippur and Shabbos. Again, this is a demonstration that the Kedusha of Shabbos in this opinion of Rabbi Yishmael, is higher than the Kedusha of, of Yom Kippur. So therefore, Shabbos' needs are above Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur's needs are not above Shabbos. Whereas Rabbi Akiva says that Shabbos and Yom Kippur are equal. You can't do either one. He agrees they're equal, so you can't prepare it all from one day to the next. Okay, so now we, we said you're a lot of fold clothing. It was, right? As long as there was no, you, weren't, you were doing it for later on Shabbos, there was no Hafana issue, you're a lot of fold clothing. So now the Gemara gives all sorts of extra qualifications for what the circumstances are that you're allowed to fold clothing. It's only true if one person is folding it alone. If it's two people together are folding it alone, then it's also, what's the idea? They're gonna stretch it out, smooth it totally. So it's not much like fixing the garment. It's like a ticket that you're making on the Rabbana Asr to fold it with this more complex method of two people. Even when it's one person, it's only true if it's new clothing. If it's old clothing, oh, it's Asr. Why? 
the new clothing is not so easily wrinkled, so it's not such a big thing. But old garments is like a big, big chashivas when you when you fold them up, it makes a big improvement. So therefore, it is um, it is usher to to make this special folding. Even if you're it's only for white garments, which don't get so much better by folding. But the colored ones, it's usher. The colored ones, evidently, if you get very much improved the appearance when they were folded. Another thing is only true, you don't have other clothes into what to change. If you have other clothing to change, low, then you're not allowed to fold at all. So if you have other clothing to change, you're not allowed to uh, you're not allowed to fold on Shabbos. Big Chiddush. And the Gemara brings that Tanah's husband prizes for Yisrael Rikam. Leo loyim kavim kolei lavan shalom. They wouldn't fold even the white ones. There's not They have what to change. So big chumra. So what we say today, you know, Allah Chumai says, guys, his pants on Shabbos. He's going to bed Friday night. He's going to wear the suit the next day. Could he fold? Uh, could he fold the pants? Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to fold up the pants on Shabbos or fold the talis on Shabbos? All of these very interesting questions that come out uh, based upon our Gemara. Amar Apuna. Now the Gemara moves in general to to help Shabbos that a person should change their clothing for Shabbos. Amar Apuna. Yisrael Achlo. If someone has other clothing to change into from the weekday Yachlo, you should change your clothes uh, for Shabbos. Minal Achlo. What does a person do if he doesn't have other clothes? He shalsh without. He should let down the weekday clothing. So the the poor people, they would they would pick up the clothing um, when they were doing the work. They didn't want to ruin it, so they don't have another clothing to wear for Shabbos. So make a little couple of Shabbos. You lower down the clothing to make them like to the way rich people wear their clothing. Masar of Safra, Masik Rumas Ruach, it makes him look cloudy. He's saying, like, oh, now I'm rich. So the Lord says, no, he never does that day, but he knew Kabbalah, he's only doing it today on Shabbos. So Masik Rumas Ruach doesn't look like cloudiness. He's doing it clearly with Kabbalah Shabbos. He's not pretending he's rich. The idea is he's doing a mice of Kabbalah Shabbos. Now we look at where we get these ideas of Kabbalah Shabbos from. The Pasuk in Yeshayat says, You should honor the Shabbos when you're not doing your ways. So how do you honor Shabbos? By this idea, your Shabbos clothing shouldn't be like the weekday clothing. Where do we see that there's an idea of honoring through clothing? It's like Rabbi Yochanan said, he called his clothing the things that brought him honor. So clothing are our article of honor. So when the Pasuk says honor Shabbos, it means with special clothing. Not doing your ways. What does it mean? You shouldn't walk on Shabbos the same way you walk during the week. The Gemara is going to explain the difference in the walking of Shabbos. From finding what you want, your wants are also. You're not allowed to do things that are for your own business on Shabbos, right? Like the Gemara says later, you can't walk to the edge of the field and lay, oh, what do I need to do here? What fertilizer should I do on Sunday? You're not allowed to do such an activity on Shabbos. But if it's for Hashem, it's for a mitzvah, then it's okay. So a person is allowed to, uh, like, you know, make shidduchim, or is that a famous example? Chafz to is mother and Shabbos. The Dabar Dabar in speaking words, what do we learn from there? You shouldn't speak on Shabbos the same way you speak during the weekdays. So that's why you're not allowed to speak on Shabbos about business, or bonos, you're not allowed to do such a thing. However, it's only speaking that's for that's forbidden here. But just thinking about business is okay. A person would say, you know, wants to think about a deal that he's doing. There's nothing awesome about thinking about on Shabbos. Says All of these things are very understandable. What's this idea that you shouldn't walk on Shabbos the same way you walk on the week? How, how do you walk differently? So the Gemara says, Let's say someone's walking on Shabbos and he, and he hits, he gets to a stream of water. If he's able to put the first foot down on the other side before the second foot, meaning that the stream is narrow, so you could just step right over it with one with one with one stride, much you're allowed to cross with him. Lav also, why? Because if you take a very wide stride, since you have to take a very wide stride, that's not the way you walk on Shabbos. Shabbos we walk slowly, peacefully, not big strides. Says the Gemara, What are you supposed to do? If you're not allowed to jump, make a big jump over the stream, how are you supposed to go? Look, if we make you go all the way around the stream, that's just making making it very long. It's annoying. 
It's it's a cumbersome way of traveling, so that's also not good for Shabbos to have that terra. The oven, if you say maybe cross through the river, you're not allowed to cross through the river. Zim Maya, you're closer, you're gonna become soaked with the water. Also, Slita might come to do Slita to, to squeeze it out, squeezing out clothing is Malabin. It's a form of laundering. So if you're not allowed to do that, so we don't want you to cross the stream which might bring you to Malacha. So what should a person do? You can't jump over it, you can't go around it, and you can't cross it. So Ella, in this case, given the left shore, since it's impossible to do it either way, Shabbatam is fine to leap over it. So it can't be talking about this case. So Mark says, you're right, it's not talking about crossing a stream, it's talking about general, the, um, about big strides. Because the person take big strides on Shabbos, I forget about Shabbos, are you ever supposed to take big strides? You're really not really supposed to do it. Taking big strides takes away one five hundredth of a person's eyesight. It literally takes away some eyesight for it. How does it come back? By making Kiddush. Maybe by drinking the Kiddush, Rashi says, and um, of the Kiddush wine, it actually is um, is able to restore some of the ice. So this is what it means, this idea of not taking big strides on the Shabbos. It's not even something that's encouraged during the week, but I'll go upon them certainly on Shabbos, not to take big strides. Okay, totally, we just spoke about something that Rebbe asked Rishmael Rebbe so now we move on to a different tangent. But I mean, Rebbe, Rebbe, so a person eat dirt on Shabbos. So we know, right? A person wants to eat the dirt. It's like some sort of a food, some sort of medicine. We know in general we don't do medicine on Shabbos. Uh, so is it okay to do to do such a thing, eating the dirt? So I'm a little bit home. Are you allowed to do, eat dirt during the week? It hurts your health. It's not good to eat dirt, and therefore you should never do it. Anyone who eats from the dirt above all, it's like he's eating. The flesh of his of his ancestors, because they a lot of body Jewish bodies were buried there from the Gullahs. You're not allowed to eat from the dirt of Gullahs. So specifically, is very despicable. It's like eating all the gross crawling creatures that were there during the Mavalim. Right? Hashem destroyed all the existence of everything, and where did they go? Bubble is very low, so we assume that they were that that, that all of the animals and the creepy crawling things were buried in bubble during the during the during the Mavalim. Why is Bubble referred to as Shinar in the Pasuk? Because all the dead people from the flood were dumped there. Why is it called deep? It's called the Metsula. They all sink there during the Mabal. There are those It's like eating creepy crawly creatures if you eat from the dirt above them. What do you mean? It's already dissolved by the water. So how you how it's obviously dissolved by the waters of the floods. So how are we how are we gonna say that they were buried there like you're eating the, the animals? So the says, I'm the milky. No, the point is that the, the earth is, is bad for one's health because we're abundant. Our abundant said, Don't eat it. There was a person who ate the dirt, and he had some crests. The crest like sprouted in his heart and he died. So it sounds like from the Gemara at the end that we're really kind of backtracking. It's not really about bubble. We're saying that certainly the water um, already, disin- everything disintegrated in the water and it dissolved. And it's not really a problem that, that the actual people or, or creatures that died in the marble. Um, are there. It really just sounds like in general, the rabbis don't want you doing it, so they're saying all this stuff about it. They want you doing it because eating the dirt is bad for your health. Okay, now we go back to Shabbos clothes. So we go to the story with Boaz and Rus. So Naomi told Rus to prepare herself to look good <clears throat> by the greenery with Boaz. So he, she was told by Naomi, that you should bathe the socks, smear yourself with oil, and go put on your clothes. So what, what is this clothing? Obviously, she's going to put on her clothing. So she meant go put on the special clothing for Shabbos. The Pasuk says, 
says, you give something to a wise man, it becomes even wise. Meaning you give like something smart to advice to a wise person and they take it to the next level and make it even smarter. This refers to two different stories. With Rus the Mavi and Shmuel the Ramasi. They were they got advice and they took it to the next level. She was told to 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 get all dressed up before she went to threshing for it. But Rose, what did she actually do? It says, she went to threshing floor, but that's what she said. And then she did what her mother-in-law said. Meaning, her mother-in-law said, go prepare and then go to threshing floor, but Rose did the opposite. She went to threshing floor and then she adorned herself. So what's the idea? She knew that it wasn't a good idea to go out looking like a prostitute. So she only she only went and adorned herself after she was already at the threshing floor. Shmuel, and by Shmuel, this is a story where Shmuel's first Nebuah, when he was lying, and, and, he, and, he, and so he hears the voice talking to him, and it's really Hashem speaking down in Nebuah, and he, he thinks it's not, he thinks it's Eli, so he goes to Eli, and after a while, Eli finally figures out um, that it's Nebuah, and he says to him that he tells Shmuel that when, they, when he hears the voice again, he should say to Hashem that he should speak. He, what did Eli say to him? The voice calls out to him, Martin, you say, Hashem, speak Hashem. Because your servant is listening. That's what Eli advised Shmuel. When Shmuel himself, when he actually went to carry the instructions, what does it say? He calls out to him, Shmuel, what does Shmuel say? Speak, your servant's listening. But he doesn't say, So it sounds like he wasn't convinced that it was really Hashem. He was Choshish, maybe it was an angel. So he didn't want to say Hashem's name in vain. So that was the advice to respond to the voice, but without saying, Hashem's actually name. Now we go back to the story with Rus. It says that Rus went and she gathered in the field. So what's she going and coming back and going? So she went back and forth a couple of times. She found people to accompany. She wanted to have other, you know, be in good company. So until she found good people who were harvesting, she didn't go. Now, Boaz said to his Nar, and he's called He says, Who's this girl? Is it Boaz's way that big tzaddik to ask about the girls that he saw? He saw that she was very smart. In if she saw two ears of grain, she would she would take it. She if there were three, because that's the law by by by, by leket. That three three things that fall from the balabais, you're not allowed to gather. Two, they're in the yim code. So she knew the halach as well. It says in a bright something else. Right, seeing he saw that she was very modest. the standing years of grain she cut when she was standing. No if they fell instead of bending over me, so she would sit down in a greater act of modesty. So it says that Boaz said to Ros, so I hear you should cleave onto my maiden. So he's trying to say to her, like, oh, you could stay, always come to my field. But what's this lashon of cleaving? He's trying to get her to cleave. Like, what's what's the lashon here? Um, what's the lashon of Devon? When Arpa kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Rose, she cleaved onto her mother-in-law. So if she was to stay, Amar, to cleave to Rus, meaning I see that Rus is so sincere, you can marry her. That's a general, general idea with people converting. You want to make sure that they're sincere. So he's saying if it was Rus Dafkaba, she was really sincere. So now Mida Kenegan Mida, it's fit to, to be Davik and Rus to cling to her in marriage. So, so Boaz said to her at the meal, and he said, Goshi Halom. Halom is a strange word. Come here. So what does that mean, Halom? He gave her a hint. I see the Malchus based David, Lot says, Mimech. That the house of David is going to come from you. 
that she's going to be the 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 the, the matriarch of the house of David. Siv be halom. It says the word halom by David's house. Shenemar vayevo hamelch David veishu b'shem ayomar mi anochi Hashem elokim umivezi kivayasani ad halom. So we see that the word halom is used in that context by base David. So halom is a reference here for Ross that she's going to be the matriarch of the house of David. Then it says it's about pitah vachometz. You should you can dip your bread in the vinegar. What we see from here, shachometz yafel that vinegar is good in the hot weather. That was what it was. Um, she was harvesting the hot weather, so vinegar is good for the heat. He gave her a remez. You're going to have the malchus based davar. You just told her, but that you're going to have a, a one bad, you know, like a vinegar son. Who's the bad son? Menashe. Menashe wasn't was evil. She sat next to the besides the harvesters. She sat like on the other side of the harvesters, not in the middle of them. Remez Brahma's love. Why didn't he seat her next? And why did he seat her from the other side of the harvesters? He was hinting to her that there was going to be a split in the Malchus of David, right? When the when it split off Yeravim and Rechavim, so he hinted that to her by separating her. It says he entered the poached grain and she eats it. And then it says she was she was full and she left over. So what's this all a reference to? that she's going to eat made David. shall be even satisfied with Shlomo. That's reference to Shlomo. shall have extra leave in the times of These are all her royal descendants from the riches that they're going to be. He's describing to her, alluding to her that they're going to get richer and richer. Some people say it differently. She's going to eat in the days of David and Shlomo. shall be satisfied with the days of shall have left over Rebbe. Rebbe was also a descendant of hers. Rebbe was so rich. The stable man, the regular common man, the stable man of Rebbe was wealthier than for the king of Persia. They were so rich. She's eating in this world. She'll have left over when the world will come. So it's talking about spiritual wealth. Okay. So now, now we just bring a, 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 a total tangent, a, a different interpretation of a Pasuk. So we're talking about here by Sancheir. Sancheir had a siege around Yerushalayim, and there was a whole, with, with, there was a whole uh, amazing story where there was, Yerushalayim was besieged, and Chizkiah, the whole thing with Yeshaya, the Davin, and the whole, the whole army of, of, of Sancheirim died. Uh, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of men. So it says in the Pasuk, Beneath, like tachas covered under this honor, there was a fire that burned each each of the soldiers. So, what does it mean under that the fire was under the honors? Amar Biyochan tachas kvodo beneath his honor, which means I have look for the mash, but not his honor. Now, remember, we learned that Aleph. What is the honor? The honor of Biyochan holds his clothing, so it was burned under his honor, meaning that the clothing didn't burn, but the bodies burned. It was like a miracle that even when these people burned, Zacharias' army burned to the ground, only their bodies and not their clothing. Rebbeilchon is consistent with this one reason. Remember, we, we said in Amadal, Rebbeilchon called his clothing the things that honor me. So if it says in the Pasuk that it was burned under the, my honor, it means that the clothing was not burned, just the body was burned. Rebbeilchon says, Tachas It means the Tachas, like in place of, which means in place of the actual owner. So Rebbeilchon is agreeing here fast with Rebbeilchon that the bodies were burned and the garments were not, but he interprets it differently. So he says that Kvodah is talking about the, a person's body, the opposite. The cup of the honor is the body. And he's saying that Tachas means in place of. And the Pasuk is saying that the bodies, the bodies turned to fire and their clothing did not. So it's Mamash, the opposite interpretation in the words, but the, the meaning and the facts is the same. We need his honor. talking about Kvodah. Like the other people who were honored, who is not the Benavio, the way they died, 
Those honored people died, so do these people die. Just by our, the body, the soul was burned, but the body was intact. That's what we derive over there, that only the body didn't even die. It was only the, the soul that was burned by another one of you. After they forget about their clothing, the body, mom's remains intact. So we have a dispute. Um, we actually have a dispute here whether how the army of Sanctuary died, whether it was the clothing, the clothing survived, but the bodies were burned, or even the bodies themselves were intact, and only the souls were burned.